Okay, so today I'm in Devon at uh, Nigel Hawke's Corn Farm with Graham Thorner. Graham, thanks very much for agreeing to talk to us today. Champion jockey and Grand National winning jockey. Um, you, you won the Mulbayer Fleet, you won the Arkle twice, you won the Hennessy, you won the Grand Annual, and you were champion jockey in 1970 and 71, the King George. Um, it's, you won it that, you were 74 winners. So how hard was it to amass winners in those days? with the roads and stuff as they were? Well, I was just talking to Nigel's staff. The whole scene is entirely different. I went into racing and you looked after two, can you believe it? One, age 15, one Sunday off in three, and then the actual racing itself, um, no, no motorways, no agents, and no racing in the summer, of course, two, totally two months off. I got a feeling once there was no racing on a Tuesday. I don't know why I think that, but I never think, oh, well, Tuesday's right, you can do your odd jobs. Um, so it's totally different. And uh, I'll tell you another thing that's different, that every little stable, for instance, down this part of the country, Mrs. Kennard had her stable jockey, Fred Hollis. Um, so most stables had their jockey. So the whole scene's changed, whereas it seems to me now that an agent gets the top jockey five rides, six rides, and people don't appear to have their jockeys. The big names are wanted, whereas Joe Bloggs would have 15 winners a year, but he rode all of his smaller stables horses. So to me, the scene is totally different. Um, but one thing interesting is I, I keep looking, because obviously I'm a bit biased, and um, I see that when you say a total of 74 winners, that, um, that, uh, that the, the number of rides they have is not a lot different. So, so the, the number of rides per, per, uh, rides per winners are the same. And the other thing is, there were nine champions riding against each other, nine. You know, that were, or Johnny, Johnny Franken was, was after, who I thought was the best jockey ever. Um, Johnny Franken, who's a friend of mine, he, he was champion after, but there were nine right never mind about David Moe, absolutely brilliant. Uh, Andy Turnell, Jeff King, all of these could have been champion jockeys. Johnny Hain should have been and could have been champion jockeys. Did you so, set out to be champion jockey? Was that something you, well, you wanted put to it be like that? Yeah, someone said, oh, what did, you, what did you do? And, uh, um, and I said, well, there's two things you want to do, but you don't believe. Well, I suppose I always felt I, I was going to be a jockey uh, didn't know, know the game, got put to Tim Forster through an owner called Mrs. Henriquez, who my uncle worked for as plain and simple groom. So obviously with a connection, she rang up Sir Gordon Richards, he said he's too heavy, said I got a horse with Tim Forster, go to Tim Forster's. Little did I know what I was letting myself in for, a 15-year-old Somerset Hilly Billy farmer's son go in a hostel with 25 lads and have uh, your initiation, which weren't very pleasant, which is in a lot of books, but Hang on uh, a minute, we're not in this book, so can you tell us what the initiation was? Well, you had your testicles blackened, um, and as I said, for what with? A, uh, boot polish, and or, or whatever was at hand, and then, because I say, I think I was afraid Golden Bollocks was jumping the queue, because um, I could ride, you know, instead of brushing the yards or whatever, riding work straight away. One particular gentleman, which is in one, one book, um, felt obliged to... Um, even at the breakfast hour, no kid, how did that horse go? I said, I don't know, what do you mean you don't know? You want to be doing it? So physically, but, and then here he's getting a bit cocky, let's give him a cold bath, bearing in mind the lads get up early, do their horses, stop at one o'clock, 
go to sleep all afternoon, then evening stables, then go and get drunk all night and come back to the, the annex where the kids were, as they were looked upon, the younger lads, let's have some fun. Hey, he's getting cheeky, let's give him a cold bath. Um, well, I thought, I am going to drown. Absolute shit myself. Um, and I just got on the ridgeway and cry. I mean, I wouldn't tell mum and dad because I'd drown. But it did you good because art is a tough business and it toughened me up. It sharpened me up. You know, you're amongst streetwise Liverpoolian lads, London, Dublin, old lads, not married. You know, you put a, gr a group of men together anywhere, there's going to be public. No, no big deal. I mean, now it wouldn't be allowed. Um, whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. But it's certainly, I, I, I wouldn't want, I haven't got one. I wouldn't want a son or, or your, your kids to go through it because it was a little bit over the top. But apparently it happened in every hostel. But, you know, it didn't kill anyone. Well, I think one or two did. But uh, um, it was it was tough, but it did me good. Okay, so fast forward to, and it's only a few, well, was it six, seven years later, your champion jockey, you pipped Terry Biddlecombe on the last day. How was that? What, what, what happened? Well, he was a he was a lovely man. I think he got a bad a bad shot how he's looked on later in life. He got a bit silly. He was a lovely man. Um, uh, there was it was it was tight for uh, the last month. There was only one in it, and there were three of us. There was Barry Brogan, Terry, and myself. So there was the first year of the Sportsman Club Awards, and someone came up with the idea well, here. It's a bit close. Why don't we? They had two grand for the winner and a thousand for the second. So someone said, well, why don't we say now, let's share it. So, okay, yeah, we'll do that. The minute I said that, Brogan, as you know, was a peculiar gentleman, he disappeared. So he wouldn't have won any anyway. And the, the next day, about seven o'clock in the morning, Brogan's on the phone, where he is, God knows. I haven't seen him for months. Here, what about my grand? I could do with the money. I said, yeah, you'll get it, bro. I made him wait. But I, I, I'm a man of my words, so I paid him. But So that's what happened. We, we shared the grand. And... Terry, I can tell you now, uh, we got one winner um, each at Stratford. My great friend who I had dinner with last week, um, Ron Vibert, uh, he, he, I took over from him from Forster's, and he, he ran a horse for some West Country people, I think of the name, David Barron's trained for them a lot, I think of the name in a minute, um, and it won Red Hue at Stratford. We flew up to Market Raisin, you never rang, I rang up six times, was embarrassed, because you didn't do it in those days, can I ride? I rang up Jeremy Hindley, who owned Tam Kiss. I think he rode him himself in the National. He went on and trained in Newmarket. He was assistant to Forster when I was there. Can I ride Tam Kiss? Tam Kiss won, that meant I was two ahead. Terry gave his ride to Lord Oaksey, which, I knew Graham McMillan, there was, it was the same for them in the amateur championship, and won. And so it meant Lord Oatesy won the championship, I won the championship. He walked over, shook my hand and said, great, innit? And he meant it. I, he meant it. A lovely man. But then he says, right, get the champagne in, two crates. So he, he, he quickly spent all my money, which I didn't mind at all when you've been champion jockey. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, I, I miss him. I miss him. He was a lovely fella, and what a great jockey. He was a great jockey. And, and two year, well, a year later, you won the Grand National for Tim Forster on World to Do, and you beat Terry Biddlecombe. Yeah, I remember seeing an interview that Mercy said, uh, you won four Grand Nationals, Mercy. He said, yes, it should have been five. Graham Thunner went right round the inside 
and Terry went around the outside. Uh, and um, I had a, I wrote for Brian Marshall, who was a bit of a bully, but I credit him for, for it. I went and talked to him, and he showed me the plans of National, and I, and I wrote for him, and he turned me into an inside jockey. Now, uh, Ruby, interestingly enough, Ruby Walsh says, didn't like going in there because loose horses ran there, which is a point, but it is worth 30 lengths or more. I have got the Grand National cards signed by every jockey, no one's got this, since 1971 to this day. I know the place quite well. Um, and even at the Canal Turn, I've had at least three jockeys say they talked to me after winning it, which I'm very pleased about. At the Canal Turn, you say, where, where's the grandstand? As you're watching, you think it's there. It's there. So, or even never mind the Canal Turn, which I'm show jumping, my old show jumping bit come in. I let him pop and turn in midair. Lens. So it is worth a lot, but in the latest champion jockey book, it shows photos of both times he nearly fell. So you're either a genius or an idiot. Why did you go right up the wing? Because they were huge. I've got photos of me looking up at beaches like that. Now you look at it like that. You know, the um, snowflake brigade of this world is, is taken over the national. That's, that's Neil Price's book. We'll give Neil a mention there. Um, so you hear about the old sweats saying, oh, it's nothing like it was in my day. You know entry very well. How does it compare to your day? Not, it is still, still different. And the atmosphere and everything, you'll never change it. But, um, I mean, I shouldn't say it. I, I keep saying as I'm watching, look, there's no fallers. Look, there's no fallers. Look, nothing fell there. Only is saying to myself, I remember walking, looking at a third, and I thought, Jesus. In this horrible trappy fence, a guardrail just that high, so it invited you to jump straight in it. I remember that. I remember, and I got a photo of me standing in the chair. I said, "You can drive a Land Rover right here." Now, don't tell me they haven't changed it, because it's a, it's that high, and Beatrice is about that high. Well, you used to look up like that. No, it's because of the Do Gooder Brigade and the Snowflake Society. It has to be seen to be doing something, but it's it's still different. It's still different, and some horses don't act there. And it's still a great race, but it's not like the old days. And I've seen photographs of the way back. They look, every fence was even more bigger. So, um, you know, it, it's all right. It's all right. I, 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 you know, I'm just saying I'm glad I won it when what I call a proper, proper fence is when enforcers say when men were men. You know? <laughs> no, talking uh, about it, it was, it was different in those days, wasn't it? Because I've read Barry Brogan's book. Now, what, you mentioned Barry Brogan, so we're going to bring him into it. You know what sort of character was he? Was he normal for a, was his lifestyle normal for a jockey in those days? Well, I'm told he's a very strange man, and he did a lot of very strange things. You know, um, I, I'm told we were going through uh, uh, London. He said, "I want something to eat. Let's go in Harrods and buy a ticket." Well, well, he was hungry. You know, well, I'd go. Let's go. Where's the uh, cheapest shop in the in the brigade? Barry never did that. You know, um, no, Barry. I think he was a strange gentleman. He was a good have a go jockey, you know, a novice chase, kick it in the belly, have it up there. Um, well, I'm actually glad he did because he rode Specify, who won the year I was fourth, my first year on Bogino, come from nowhere, whoosh up the running with Jack Cook, who lived in my village, same village as me when I lived at the Loy in Swindon. Incredibly, we landed at the same village. You had to produce him very late for Sutcliffe. And Barry, as he had ants in his pants, is right up there from a long way out, so it didn't suit Specify. So I'm glad he was that joke. But he was an up there man, novice chase, kick him in the belly, you know, uh, have a go. Good. They say brave, I think 
I don't think someone said, oh, you're brave. I think it's rubbish. It, when you need to be brave, you just did it and loved it. And when you need to be brave, you've got out of the game. And the, but, but there was a lot of, would you, well, I mean, after racing, would you all go to the pub were you, or would you go jogging? What was the... Well, I hate to tell you, I was probably a goody two-shoes. I, I never go to the pub then or now. I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not a drinker, so I'm a boring man. And, and because of that, whether it's a concussion, I had a lot of concussion, or whether I don't drink, if I have one huge wine, my wife goes berserk because she says I start being silly. So, you know, <laughs> it does. If I had two strong wines, I'm drunk. So, you know. No, the boys, there were three jockeys, David Moe, Josh Given, Terry Biddlecombe. I've, I've, and I've said to, this to each of them. If they wrote a book, it's unprintable and unbelievable. I mean, what they got up to, never went to bed. You know, in the old days, they'd go up, stay at the, at the baths, um, go, all the spivs of the, at the time would, would own clubs, or they'd go to the clubs and do various things from there on, as you can imagine. And the three musketeers never go to bed and then catch the train down to Y, the train down to Folkestone, Plumpton, whatever, all the sort of tracks up that area, and, and have five rides as though nothing happened. And those three would, would and be so, t again, and we were on about Terry, so tough and that. And he would kill himself in the bars. And in the end, he was a fat man. He was like blabber because he'd boil it off and put it on, boil it off and put it on. And we were going down to Y one day. He said, um, God, I'm bloody thirsty. But not being a drunk, um, he said, I need a drink. Just because he was drunk. I need a drink. I had a drink. You ride it. You ride it. Because he wasn't going to do the way. But... You know, what characters are not like that around now? Okay, Graham, so, so you started with Tim Forster when you were 15, baptism of cold baths and all that. Um, so you were born in 1949. Were you, were you born into like a horse racing family? No, I was born in Wales, Somerset, and funny enough, my I've got a lovely big painting, which mother died last year. Um, of, of the, the, the square in Wells and the cathedral in the background and there's the red line and I said that's mum's side they own the, the cafe and I was born there And but my uncle Jimmy he did pony racing he was a great friend of Herbert Payne now Richard Pittman wrote in detail when I was an amateur I had one season in amateur because I said well dad couldn't afford it and because I had no wages you know, with Forster, I don't break the rules. If I give you one penny for carrying that bucket over there, that makes you professional and I'll be breaking the rules. So no wages. Well, hang on, so when you started working there, you didn't get paid? Not a thing. And Forster, and he, there were, there were so many Lord Fontroy's sons or rich people, assistants and lads, um, that there was almost an amateur lads war on there um, and no wages, uh, so, I, Dad couldn't afford it, obviously, and I had my keep in the hostel, but no wages. Um, and um, uh, from, from then on, um, I was, as I said, I, that was the first year. I had uh, 80 rides, and, and Pitt, Richard Pittman, my best friend, wrote it, that I had five for Forster, three were Mrs. Enrique's on a broken down horse who put me in racing, and apparently, according to my uncle, who worked for her, not this Uncle Jimmy that got me into it, um, he was Uncle Jim, Jim Wickham and Jimmy, Jimmy Thorner. Um, he, she, he said, he, she asked, could, is Graham going to write that? Then Ron Viber got hurt in the first, and then 
uh, another time I did. So in theory, it gave me five rides out of 80. And at my finishing do at the Cavalry Club in London, which would be suit Forrester, with all the owners when I finish riding, he said, I know Graham was annoyed with me. He said, but I was very clever. I let him make all his mistakes on other people's horses. Then I, then I grabbed him. But as I said, that's how the times were. It's just so different and it didn't matter. But uh, I, I wrote more than once that Herbie Payne from Wells in Somerset got me going. So could you ride before you got, you could, so where did you learn to ride? Well, this Uncle Jimmy was into pony racing, my dad's brother, and uh, he treated me like a son. Well, I got uh, at least four cousins. One of them has been down here to, to Nigel's Open Days, who's very interested in racing, Paul Thorner. Um, he quickly got me into ponies and then went to, he, he went to um, Jim Canners with me, I mean, and his son stayed at home doing the milking. Um, uh, and he, he encouraged me. And then everyone was quite shocked. When you got out of the 14 two, um, age 15, you then had to, you're not junior show jumping anymore. And of course we met Stroller uh, Marion Mould, David Mould married her. Stroller was the pony of the... Oh, Stroller's here today. He won every time. So that was funny how life goes on that Marion marries David Mould, a friend, and to me, one of the best jockeys ever. Um, uh, that got me going. But then, aren't you going to go on in seniors? No, I always wanted to be... Always imagined and wanted to be a jockey. You, you know, when you watch racing, you went out and saddled up your pony and galloped flat out uh, over the poles in the afternoon. So that was the start. Your, your first winner was Longway at Newton Abbott in 1966. How many rides would you have had before you had your first winner? Pro only probably about 20, I would imagine. And, and again, that was, that, that was Mr. G. Thorner. Had three, three winners for, for West Country Field. Uh, Longway was Herbie Payne. Uh, Misquo, who went on and won the Imperial Hurdle, not with me on it, for Lawrence Potter. And then the, the third one was Alberto for Sid Hoddinott whose sister was married to Richard Barber. Um, so three, three West Country winners to start with. Um, and then, then I, I, turned cause dad, I turned after a year because Dad couldn't afford it, you know, turned professional. Very lucky because they just brought out a series of boys' races. And although Tim Forster, I said, didn't do, well, he didn't do anything for me. He, he wasn't that sort of person. Um, whereas you know other trainers have, got horse in that his name did it was Tim Forster's conditional and there was there was three there was Richard Dennard Caslett Ali Blanford Fruit Warwin Clive Bailey Toby Borden and myself clogged up the um the, the conditional jockeys and, and if there was a, a conditional jockeys championship I, I think I was 10th or somewhere as a condition I would have been champion conditional but I was lucky in that um, uh, that, that got me going. The other thing that helped get me going, I know for a fact Jeremy Hindley was assistant trainer and for some reason Toby Borden had a horse for Herbie Payne and he said look Graham I'm, they're saying you know you, you ride mine and one or two are saying you know why don't Forster use it and I said that's it I'm going to Toby because he, he, he gave a lot of boys a chance you know as you know Bob Champion Clive Bailey, Owen McNally was a stable jockey, and I was going there, and I told Jeremy Hindley, and there was a 13-year-old roughed off for at least two weeks called Sandy Sadler, owned by a 
a very good friend of mine, Gordon Logan owner, and Frisky Briscoe, who was his secretary, Warwin's secretary, and the National Trainer Secretary, godparent to my kids, they owned a bit. Oh, run it in a, there's a boy's selling chase at Plumpton. Rode it, Sankey, Mr. Sankey claimed it, that owned Ross Hoyth with Ryan Price that won the sweats a couple of times, went to Alan Orton, Alan Orton said, I want this boy to ride it. He said, I don't know him, no. Walked in the ring, nearly said, I don't know who you are, but you've got to ride another selling chase. It won. Oh, he's all right. Rode one at Kempton in a boys race for him, it won. Landed up riding all of Alan Orton's and that season he offered me a retainer. Uh, he said, you're not riding all the Foresters, but I guess I was sort of happy where I was and he had some horses. So, so I stayed where I was. So, so was most of the business of booking you for rides done at the races? Because I can't imagine, then select Tim Forster would have been happy if somebody rang up and said, can I speak to Graham? Well, no, in those days, it, they rang you. And, and your wife, Caroline, drove me a lot. But you had, uh, I think, a, a new thing come in. You had an answer machine, which was new, brand new. You could leave a message. That was great. You know, um, no mobile phone. So, no, you, you made your own arrangements. What was a bit difficult was... The governor, as I call him, the governor, um, he he wasn't going to put himself out, and I I had to do juggling the owners. You, can you ride that Saturday, Graham? No, I think I'm going there, and I had to keep that owner happy or that trainer happy, because Forster wouldn't let me know. I said to him one day, um, Governor Mr. Winter, I thought he won't mess Fred Winter, right? I rode quite a bit. I rode midnight court for Mr. Winter two weeks before he won the Gold Cup, and. Um, I said, Mr. Winter wants to know, am I going to Sandown? He said, I don't know. I pay a retainer. It's my privilege to fuck you about. And that was the governor. <laughs> well, we'll talk about him a bit more in a minute. Um, you were affectionately known as Wanger. Is that correct? Well, and I if so, who christened you that and why? Well, Jonathan Powell did that. Uh, I said, well, I wanged it of you. Uh, so he, 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 he started calling me the Wanger. Yeah, I, I, my stick was that long. But Forster had, his idea was, he told me, but we never had many, we never had a chat, we had a conversation. We never had a warm chat. But he would let things out now and then. Uh, I'd like to buy these lovely big horses and when, you know, her duration should be abandoned. So I don't know what he thought about bumper horses. Um, and go on, not, I never missed a novice chase on a great big boat that would take four years to find out he was any good or useless. Um, so, and he uh, sorts of men from the boys in the mud. He loved a three-mile chase in the mud. So unless you got stuck into them, they didn't know you were on their back. Totally, again, totally different type of horse around these days, you know. So, so I think, yeah, I, I was hard on horses, but Alistair Down, one of the last articles he wrote, he said, yeah, I'd, be, I'd have a permanent holiday, I'd have a permanent job in Thompson's Holiday if I was riding now. Number one, I'd like to think I'd adapt. But yeah, I, w I was hard on horses. Richard Pittman said the two hardest people we ever knew was Graham Thorner and, uh, and Lester Piggott. But as he, as Alistair wrote, they won year after year. I firmly believe if a horse is still doing it, still get into him. I believe the damage is done when you hit a horse when he's gone, when he's, there's no more to give, which I never did that. I can only remember twice thinking I was a bit too hard on those horses, and one come out and won 11 point to points for Tucky Sumner, who Mr. Sumner owned it, in the next season. So I couldn't have done him too much damage. 
Now, you're a professional jockey for 15 years and you've, you've stuck with Tim Forster for all that time, but um, he wouldn't talk to you as an equal. I think it was just that old Eton Sanders. Um, but he, he, talking people say, oh, he was singing your praises. Graham wins me 25 races a year that no one else would. And he said, oh, when, there's, when he's up size two or three, I know he'll win. Um, well, he said that in my in my goodbye uh, in his goodbye speech at the Cavalry Club. He said it was very uh, nice to know that when a horse was upside two or three out, you know Graham would would outride someone. Um, but he never said it to me once. There was John Thorne, Barber, and John Ryle at the at um, Doncaster Sales a few years later, and he said, "See this man here." He with me 24 and I said, yeah. And you never said that to me once, Governor. And he didn't, he never said it to me. But again, that old fashioned, he, he thought it and, and said it, but he wouldn't say it to me. Was it a different relationship when you retired and you weren't his employee anymore? Well, I, I, no, I was very fond of him. You know, like he's, he was in, I bought a place in the next village. I bought a place in Letcom Regis where Lester was born and bred, um, which we had conversations with Lester often about that. Um, no, he, I, I, I respected him, you know, as I said, I'm a bit critical in, in several books, but that's my privilege um, because, and every word is true, but if anyone else criticism, I would say, you better shut up, you're talking about my governor. You know, that's, the, that's what I felt about him. I mean, now how I am now, where I'm in, you know, the gallops are, four mile away and I'm in the first at Plumpton with no motorways uh, wetting myself that I'm not going to get there now I'd say Governor I'm in the first at Plumpton I'll come up in the Land Rover with you um, but at the time um, you just took it out that's, the, that's how it was in those days you know th things have changed okay you retired after 650 ish winners yeah um, in 1979 so why did you decide it was time to turn it well, in well to be honest what happened was I'm a celiac and uh, I, didn't, I didn't know it, um, but I'm, the day I gave it, I was eight stone two. And someone sent me a photograph about a year ago, signing it, and I'm literally, well, I'm not much better now, but I, I think I'm fat compared to what I was. I was skin and bone, and the shirt was out here, you know. Well, what, as you know, if they don't know see it, you eat your food and it just goes straight through you. And felt as weak as a kitten, never missed a novice chase. I was totally down. Plus, he, he wasn't very good he should have had you in and said, look, what's up? Um, and um, he, wouldn't, he, he didn't do that sort of thing. And never missing a novice chase. I was beginning to probably, probably in all reality, probably losing my nerve a bit, probably. But what was interesting was, if I had a ride for someone else, novice chase, whatever, totally relaxed, fine. When I rode for him, I wasn't at ease. So one day uh, I said something, and Jenny Pittman said, you can ride all mine. And I rode Corbier for her the day I gave up. Didn't tell anyone what I'm going to give up. Just gave up overnight. Um, and I went over to see him. I, don't know, I think racing was off or something. And it was frosty. And it's very unusual. I didn't ride out for him six days a week, um, which I did. Um, said, Governor, I want to have a chat. Uh, I said, look, um, I went over to say I can't ride for you anymore. I'm going to ride for Jenny Pitt. And he said, no, then, no, then. My owner said you look terrible. Are you ill? I said, well, I'm not feeling great. But I said, um, he said, I think you've lost your nerve. So I said, okay, Governor, 
I thought about it and I was so down, I thought, well, I'll give up. Fine, fine, next week, next month, whatever. But he's beginning to drop me off a few. Um, and you wrote everything for him, good, bad or ugly, you wrote everything. Um, and I said, no, I'll do it Saturday, which I did. Did it overnight. That's why I gave up, because I was, in theory, dying. Goes in the papers, and Fred Winter rang up and said, Graham, you mustn't give up. Come and see me. Have a rest. Have a rest. He rang up the next day when he read it. But I, I wouldn't, wouldn't regret it. Whenever I made a decision, I never looked back, and that was it. But that's the reason why I didn't carry on. Okay, Graham. Now, I want to talk about your training career in a bit, but one thing that does interest me, you hear back in the day about jockeys having what they would call their punters, and you, I suppose you'd ring them up and tell them what was fancy. Did you get involved with any of that? I, I remember getting calls out the blue saying, here, you know, if you... I was never into... I mean, I never bet now. I never did then. I, the only time when I was training, if you had one going well at home, if you're a small trainer, they're 20 to 1. You know, if, they're, if you're a name, they're favourite. And I remember once a bumper, because I, I, even now I buy and sell bumpers on race horses, and that's what I specialise in. And uh, I remember bought a thing, it cost a fortune, and when I was training, it was running at uh, Market Raisin. And um, it was going really well, because it's mackerly bred, just big and backward, or a little injury, which cost me nothing with my no rent no more turned out I thought god I ought to back that and it bolted in Rodney Farrant rode it and I was mad 20 to 1 you know because there was a couple of well-bred ones in it that so no I never bet then never did then uh now um I'm a bad loser I hate losing and I, uh, people say I'm quite tight with money I'm careful with money put it like that um but uh no the you know you know some of the boys had the London spibs, you know, again, I didn't want to get involved in all that. I did, right at the end, one guy said, get involved, and he said, oh, you never ring me. I didn't like doing it. Every horse I rode for Forster was trying, every single time. Yes, of course, some of the boys had punters, but um, what was so annoying was um, you never had the odd five pounds over the odds. Um, when a horse won, a lot of the boys would come in with some pocket money, extra readies, for a winner, quite legal. Um, and with Lord and Lady that I rode for, they never carried cash in their pocket. And I could name the number of drinks, mainly one of my favorite, I called him my favorite owner, and yet I got bad, hurt bad twice, really bad on both his horses, extraordinary. Um, on those hands, the number of drinks I had above the odds. Um, you know, here's a, here's a drink for riding a winner. Well, you, a lot of your friends did, and. You know, I, I never had any, never had any spare spare money. But yeah, they they had punters, a few of them. But um, I don't know if it goes on now, but they, they, it used to, you know. Um, but then it it, it can lead to uh, corruption. So I, I mean, I just wasn't in that sort of world. I wasn't interested, you know. Like I said, I never bet. Okay, one thing you we haven't mentioned yet about your riding career: Did you suffer much from injuries? A lot. Well, I say a lot. <laughs> no, I, I, I could show them. They put my leg back on crooked. Um, look, look, my knee's straight. Look, uh, so I'm hung up. Uh, Richard Pitt and I do a talk together now and then. I'm hung up and I, 
and I've had plastic surgery free, stood on that, so that dimple's free, and no tooth, got in my teeth, can't see it that eye, smash that eye. But um, uh, I got hung up, I thought, oh, I'm in trouble here. So the horse gallops off, next thing I'm on the floor, I thought, oh, my boots come off. Oh shit, it's my leg. It, it, was, it was round like that, hanging. So of course, they hit, when they healed it, it was right down low where, the, where your veins don't get. So it's that in the bath, one leg's there, and I've got to do that to me. So it's that much shorter, plus it's crooked. Uh, I, went, I, I popped in the injured jockeys at uh, Lambourne, and John Reed was there. He said, you're walking a bit funny. I said, well, I had a stroke, and, and my injuries are catching up with me. Um, <laughs> and I said, look, it's all cut. I said, do you think, do you think I've got a claim? He said, I think the sale-by dates. He said, how long ago was it? I said, oh, 50 years. He said, I think the sale-by dates run out. So, so they put the leg on crooked, which I've had to have quarters on it, and I ought to have more now. But, you know, so what? Part of the game. Uh, but what is interesting is I laugh at these footballers. They get down out at out. I broke three ribs, rode in the next race. It's on record. Coming home with the friends, take me to hospital because ribs are the worst screaming in agony i couldn't breathe and i rode in the next race another time did my vertebrae they say you broke your back and funny enough an old handicapped chaser but he hit for hard come in was having a job to breathe but weighed out weighed out cut out two coat hangers and nearly passed out johnny bucking i mean one and i he was my valet he said you're not riding you're not riding forster went berserk of course when in hospital, you've done three vertebrae. When did you do that other one? No, I said, oh, I remember being very sore on, you know. So you've done three vertebrae and I've weighed out the ride. Then, it, then when, the, when the adrenaline goes and calms down. But so how come then, and you don't feel it. So how come these footballers, pussies, go and fall down when they've got, oh, oh, murder, what a load of rubbish. You don't feel it until, until, until you cool down, you know. So I laugh at myself there. Well, then you went. You went on to be a trainer. Yeah. Um, you best season as a trainer, eighty-one, eighty-two of eleven windows. You had Sheikh Mohammed as one of your patrons, but you said I read that you said you got more satisfaction of training one than riding one. Because it's so hard, you know. Um, uh, I I think looking back, I didn't. I uh, I uh, I bought a falling down place. I'd been trained in for years and years and years. So doing everything physically, manually, didn't have big owners. And I, I think looking back, probably it's changed so much. I, I probably rode out and mucked out. Was, instead of being hands-on, which people don't appreciate, um, you have to put yourself around, communicate with owners, and I was probably spent too much time. Might have been a bit too, looking back, I don't know, a bit too hard on horse. I had three or four big winners. Um, uh, I mean, that the horse I sold to Shape Mohammed. We did a really good job with him. He won five races of Philip Corns and the Philip Corns final. And then the owner got died. And so through Bruff Scott, who was Tim Force with me, sold him to Shane Mohammed. But I don't think Shane Mohammed knew he had him. And then he, his injections, you know, I, I know this for a fact. He had his flu jab, hit him terrible. He went from a hurdle, then he was going novice chasing. And he just never, ever, ever was the same, ever. Um, but no, I, 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 I think mainly I should have spent more time socialising and doing the trainer's bit and trying to do everything myself. Okay. I think that's what happened. And when, when did you finish training? I think, uh, was I coming up 50? I think, I can't remember when I was now, 50. You were, 
victim of a freak event at Newbury when uh, Marching Song, which you co owned, was electrocuted in the paddock. And I was there that day. That was uh, two horses. Got it was horrendous. Um, we we lined this horse up, Nick Schofield rode him. We, it, I, he was a, again an unraced throwout, ran in Jim Lewis's colours, best mate. We had Edward on Blur for him all his retirement career, till sadly we haven't have put down, and that really upset me. Um, my wife hunted him, um, so we knew Jim, and I said, Jim, you don't want a, a leg and a nice horse, and a great friend, a good friend of mine still, Bob Garner. Um, he, he had a leg, there was four of us had a leg, and uh, they were all walking around the paddock, and suddenly, uh, no, we, we went to leg Nick up. How he never got Nick Schofield, how he never got electrocuted, I don't know. And he had his a nice run third, his first run, the run before. This is it, flat track, knows it better, jumps better, you know, worked exceptionally well. You can ask Nick Schofield, he's gonna win. As it happened, I think the winner of Cheltenham Festival won it of Paul Nicholas's. It, it turned out a very good race, but he certainly would have run well. And all, legging Nick up, and he was kicking out, kicking out, and reared out. I thought, that's funny, he's never done that before. Now, Nick come off, and if he hadn't have done, I mean, I'm sure Lecture can go through a horse, and he walked 200 yards around the corner and went bang down. And um, I run over to him, and the lad's taken off the seat. He said, I'm the lad taking off the saddle. I said, take the saddle off. He's he done it up too tight. So, I mean, everything flashed through your mind. You didn't know what happened. And he said, I'm getting it. He's knelt down on the ground. And now I know the line exactly from where he got electrocuted, the line where it was, was where he, where he dropped. So he went from one, there was a, a, a bare line underground. He said, I'm getting a shock. And oh yeah. And then John Joe said, something's happening to these horses. I looked round and John Joe's horse is sat up like a dog. He's down on his back and his front like that. He was sat up like a dog. Then uh, another one was going nuts, round and round and round, which Tony McCoy sat on. It bolted to the start. So I think the two, Martin Song was killed and then this other one died of JPs that was sat up like a dog and then the one that Tony rode never was the same, it bolted, because obviously getting shot. And then it was just John just saying, something's happening to these horses. And then of course, racing, I don't know if we all knew what happened there, but thoughts, you know, hang on, there's something in. So racing was canceled, but it was, it really, really got to me. I mean, I, I had an interview and I said, I'm a tough old bugger. But A, we, you know, if you rode him out yourself and I rode him work at Andy's, looking forward to it and that sort of thing. Um, Andy Chanel bought a lot of my horses and we were friends. So I introduced Mr. Lewis to him and other people. Um, it, it was a real shock. And of course, I'm, re I'm telling you, we didn't run it for newbie for nothing. He, he, w he was gonna be a nice horse. And did you get compensated for him? After a lot of struggle, I wasn't very happy with it. And um, I don't think they acted very good about it, but my interpretation was, uh, then they changed the Clark of the course or, or, or the manager, whoever. Um, is it Mr. Thick is involved now, but he, he was better. Um, they, they never really listened to us. And, and I, I had all the comparisons what horse of that form, stature would have made. And you didn't get what he was worth, but we had a, a gesture, you know, a, a better than nothing gesture. And in my mind, there was an article 
wrote about you don't mess with J.P. McManus and the boys with Sir Alex Ferguson in Man United um, and he's, tr he's, he's having arguments about his claims for the horses. Very strangely, a week later we got money. So in my mind, the newspaper man writing, writing about the um, Irish, the lads as they call them, because John, uh, you're going to take on the lads about compensation, then we got paid. So that was it. Okay, great. We're going to going into four parts here. So, how are you, how are you involved in the game now? Um, well, uh, I'm probably steadying up, but um, uh, I specialised in buying unraced horses. And as we're here at Nigel Hawks, and as he knows, we had we got together on Tiger Roll, um, and my other good one was Tropics, which cost two thousand five hundred. He's beat a short head in the July Cup on the nod, it was terrible, um, having been second a year before, he won 600 grand. Um, now, wh why I can do it is, A, I, I got a lot of, I mean, for instance, Bill Schumacher, great friend of mine, his son's at Gosden's, although my wife works in Gosden, and I've been doing it such a long time, the trainers are very good. Now, the Arabs, Sheikh Mohammed, Caleb Abdullah, they won't wait. Now, I've got no no rent, no mortgage, a mile gallop, make my own hay. If a horse is big and backward, or growing pains, as my contact said Tropics had, I probably overdid him. I had him for eight months, let him heal. Probably overdid that. Um, but if I can do that with fabulously bred, fabulously priced, 700,000 Tropics cost. So there, there's a clue there somewhere, if he's got a pedigree. So um, then, a lad I gave his first rise to, Ross Studholm, looked after Tiger Row, and apparently they came in and said, get rid of him, and he said to me, this horse is going to turn around and bite him in the ass, which he did. But I took up an unnamed Somerset trainer with, a, with an owner I rode for, who trained in Wells, where I was born and rode for, on the Sunday, and I said, this is the one, Tiger Row. When we got to the side, I said, you couldn't possibly have him, He's a flat horse. Anyway, he's got a leg. It says on the sheet, there's a, there's a sheet outside the boxes, notes on each horse. Well, my contact in there said he's cantering every day. Well, if he had a leg, it would have been up like that. So, okay, I'm getting him for six grand, and a certain Nigel Hawk jumps in, having talked about him before, and stupidly, because I, I hide, we bid against each other. So, Dean Ivory, who... I had a second retainer for Ken Ivory and Tropics Connection, said, what about the authorised? I said, no, no, Nigel, you're second in line. A Somerset gentleman's come up. Well, when she said I couldn't have him, I thought, I'll buy him for Dean. Well, she's twittering in my ear, well, he's this, he's that now. So I went nine and a half. Nigel went 10. Now, Dean always says go one over, but she's saying he's this. Shouldn't have been swayed, but Nigel, he told me he'd have gone a lot more. Anyway, 10 grand. This trainer said, you know who bought that, Nigel Hawk. So I go running over to him with choice language saying, I'm never going to tell you again because Nigel come late. And he said, you know about all these. I said, yeah, I'm going to buy that one, that one and that one, which I bought the previous lot. Dean Ivory had that. And um, I said, 
and he said, oh, you have him. And I, I think it's in one book. If I'd have said yes, and his voice said, said, oh, will you have him? I said, no, I'm a believer in fate. I said, you have him, but you so-and-so owe me a drink, which he gave me when he won. Um, so everyone's happy. And it's a lovely story because if he'd have gone to Dean Ivory, and I'm told he was slow, Mr. Um, Mr. Ryan Eyre's brother said to me, uh, I said, oh, he's done right. He said, well, he's shit, isn't he? I said, what do you mean he's shit? He's won twice at Cheltenham. He said, well, he's slow. So he's slow. Now, if he'd gone to Dean Ivory, he might have been landing a, in a claimer because he's slow on the flat, and none of that would have happened. So there's a, there's a fate story there for you. What You've had a, a long career, all your life, all your adult life in racing. What would you, uh, what would you say the absolute highlight of it was for you? Um, I suppose a highlight because I will get introduced every time I go racing and at Royal Ascot or somewhere, whoever it is, Graham won the Grand National and I said, don't ever say that. I was champion jockey, much more important because that's a year's performance and the National just won race. For the record, I thought when I won it and when I was fourth, I don't think anyone could have done better. Go, chancing going around the inside, saving 30 lengths and you win it. Um, and nearly fallen because of it. Um, I don't think you could have rode a better race. And even Brian Marshall rang me up and said, that was a good ride. Um, it's the label, but a year's performance as a champion jockey against, there were nine champions at one stage. Plus, like I've said earlier, David Moe, Jeff King, Johnny Hayne, Ron Atkins, Edder Harty, Willie Robinson, such top-class jockeys. There were 15 that could have had the crown of champion jockey rightfully. So, um, but it have to be the highlight, the national, simply because, well, I went to America as champion jockey, no big deal. Yeah, you had your dinner parties with a lot of very rich people that own horses over there, the jump people. And then I went there as a national and the red carpet came out. So it is worldwide. That's the power of being on television on a Saturday and the build-up. So, it, uh, but what was extraordinary was, I, I, I said, I don't know what you should feel, but I never felt it, because you're concentrating. I mean, I don't know what Nigel would say, and, or other jockeys that won it, but it's just another race. I found myself saying, oh, I'd love to win the, oh, I've won it. Because you're brought up the Grand National, you know, it's, all, it's one of the big events on, it doesn't happen to you, it happens to someone else. So I, I guess, like right now, at this stage in life, and people are talking about it, and it was an achievement, I suppose, but it's just, you know, you just did your job on that day. I mean, I, I, I can never understand all this, you know, publicity of everything. I, talking to some guys at Newbury, and they said, why are you talking to us? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're great. I said, I said, rubbish. I said, what are you on about? I said, you did a job, I do a job, so what? I said, hey, didn't pay my electric bill that come in this morning. You know, it's just, um, it's just because it's in the limelight, the national, it's talked about. But uh, I never get it, you know, I did a job and it come natural to me and I loved it. I've, I've had a charmed life. I, I'm, I get a few aches and pains now and I get very tired and don't know why I can't work from morning till night anymore. But um, I've had a charmed life, I wouldn't change a thing. Okay, so you've so you've loved your life in the game. Um, looking at the sport after a lifetime in it, how do you feel about it now? It's very sad 
that we're in a snowflake world, um, uh, politically correct rubbish, so it doesn't suit tough racing people. I mean, a thing that bugs me is, well, one, I can't believe how this bumping in the saddle has come up. And, and Hen told me, Tony McCoy thinks, say, bumping on the backside. Well, we used to say in the weighing room, oh, look at the amateur, his legs has gone, he's bumping the saddle. That's one thing, it does my head in. How can that possibly be right? You don't see Ryan Moore do it. Someone said, well, Pat Ellery did it. He only did it in the end when apparently he had an injury. But I do not see how this bump, bump which is creeping in, does it? Um, there was a jockey who was in the top five at this very moment. I watched it one day and because I I'm passionate about the game, didn't know him from Adam, I saw that channel, I said, come here you, you rode a winner on the television yesterday. I said, you bumped the saddle 15 times after the last. I said, don't do it, it can't be right. And he looked at me and I said, do you know him? He said, yeah, I've heard of you. I said, look, when you haven't got a chance, concentrate on not doing it. Not when you're in the heat of the moment and you've got, in the heat of the moment, you've got to do your way. Look, look at other people. I always tell kids, you know, look at other people and get some knowledge, but you walk across the room that way and I walk across the room that way. Do your own thing, but then try to blend it. And when you haven't got a chance, concentrate on not doing it. And he doesn't do it now. So that's bumming the sun. The other thing that drives me insane is the sun. So they take fences out or hurdles out. Give me some evidence that we must have been thick as shit that when we rode, um, we rode through the sun or something. Where is the evidence that four fell at the last because of the sun? Because I'd be the first to shout, hey, hang on a minute, we couldn't see a thing. And jockeys can wear, um, you know, sun goggles. And I think Diana Nickerson wrote that a horse looks that way as much as that way. Do I want to get a jockey hurt how I am now? Not in a million years. Anything to stop jockeys getting hurt. What my complaint is, do they realise that a horse, that a trainer maps out a horse for a three-mile chase and it then turns it into a two-mile chase? Um, and then my cousin uh, went racing with a, a well-known jockey and he said, oh, Graham's obsessed about this taking out the fences. And he said, well, hang on a minute. You ask him, if he said he could only jump six fences instead of 12, what would he say? Fair point. I, I don't know if, if I would have joined them. The only time I ever complained... I was saying, hang on, this is, I don't like this, is um, when it was very firm ground and then it had rained and it was slippery, that's the only time I didn't like to say, wait a minute, this is not on. Um, you know, that's dangerous. But any other ground, ride it. And, you know, I'm told by a stipendary steward that the same jockeys make a complaint. And once they made a complaint, the society we are now, once someone said something, snowflake world that we are if someone got hurt after one jockey saying i told you the sun but it can't be proved that well, the evidence is not there that in our day five fell at the last because of the sun on any course and it changes the result dramatically so that's two things that that do my head in well on that note then graham I'm sure there's nothing else there's a lot, but you'd, you'd be here till tomorrow morning. <laughs> well, brilliant. Thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Thanks very much. Thank you.